This is Damon Watson and Chris Alexander, and welcome to episode two of Perp Fiction. What are we doing today? Well, Chris, I gotta tell you, last week I turned 48, and I honestly, literally think that I am absolutely getting too old for this shit. Too old for, too old for what? Too old for what? Get jumping on the front of a pickup truck that's in the middle of a police chase where a surfboard goes through a window and decapitates somebody's half of their head? Is that a decapitation? You know what? Pretty much exactly that. Yes, I am too old for that shit oh. right there. So... That leads us to Does that the get us obvious. to the thing? Yeah, the okay. thing. Good. Lethal Weapon 2. Good. Uh, it was argued recently by a friend of mine that Lethal Weapon 2 makes Lethal Weapon 1 look like a uh, cops episode or a documentary because it's so over the top. Makes Lethal Weapon 1 look like Lethal Weapon 3. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God, I love this job. Oh, man, can't you go any faster? Well, it was, you know, it was Shane Black. And I, I think I told you, I've told you a couple times about those epic Shane Black Halloween parties that one year I ended up getting lucky enough or unlucky enough to go to. And it's about what you would think a coked up Halloween weird Hollywood party would be, uh, which is why I couldn't stay very long. So, <laughs> but, I'll do it. Um, what did you think? We watched the film together, mm -hmm. uh, you know, buddies, popcorn. Exactly. And it had been a long time, I think, for both of us. I it had been a very long time. I find this film on any streaming service. I remember. I, I couldn't either. DVD. And, uh, which I, thank you for doing that, by the way. Um, you know, as, uh, as an intellectual property attorney, I do feel like I need to respect, honor and safeguard the intellectual property laws of the country. And I also <laughs> feel a little weird about going up to some guy and buying it off a blanket when I probably yeah. hollered him three years ago. <laughs> Same thing. I'd like to see your driver's license and proof of insurance. Um, and having watched it with you, I, and I'm happy that we were able to do that, it, it holds up, uh, you know, to some degree. I mean, there's some things that I think don't, you know, like uh, I, I think that John Wick or a John Woo, like gun choreographer, might have done things a little bit differently. You know, you had that scene where Mel Gibson standing on top of the trailer, spraying back and forth and probably hitting nothing. And I'm like, what is, what's he shooting at? Like, you know, it, but on the whole, you know, pace... Uh, not too much love story, you know, for an action movie. I, you know, I, I think it, I, I liked it. I still like it. Um, I, I felt also like it, it holds up. I, it, it's got, and again, uh, just take it as a thing of its time. It, it had, it really reached that crescendo point where that kind of going over the top started to fade out into something either, like you said, a ballet of violence that really doesn't even have much of a story, right. or you know, or they got serious. This was at the point, at the point before those two things diverged, mm -hmm. and and I, I I dug it. It was it was fun to watch, and, and it was. we'll get into the different elements that worked or didn't, but uh, it and, was an enjoyable. Uh, and it made you, and I, you know, not to call any any bloody out in particular but it kind of made you remember why we did love mel gibson for a while if you don't still you know so i mean because he was he was fantastic he he's, was fantastic he's hard to love as he is hard to love now i mean yes oh well it's the faster race <laughs> you know what though not as bad as as some others i tried to watch bill cosby himself oh my god recently uh on a youtube and you know I can't tell I you can't, how much Bill Cosby, not to digress too much, but that just ruined my childhood. I, like when I was in high school, you know, I did speech and debate. And one of the events that I did was humorous interpretation where you kind of, you would take comedy pieces, cut them up and do like a 10 minute monologue. And I used to do Bill Cosby pieces all the time. I loved him. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, there's, it's, it's good stuff, but it cause it's clean, feels, it you know, feels, it's clean, it but, clean but now it feels just Jesus. so 
Uh, I, you know, I was going to do a Bill Cosby impersonation right now, but I can't but even do that. That's not what I came here to you tell you. You put the pudding in the pot. Yeah, no, I know. Sorry. But we digress. Mel has had his problems as we heard about. Yeah, he has. Including rants to police officers. Yes. About, you know. I'm surprised you haven't heard about me. You know, I got a bad reputation. I mean, sometimes I just go nuts like now. <laughs> um, my father worked with him on a film called Conspiracy Theory, and they had a fairly big scene together, too, actually. And um, he had some interesting stories, but I'm not going to tell anything out of school. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, he certainly it's true that, that Mel Gibson seems to have his, had his ups and downs. Is it Melvin? I hope so. <laughs> that would be great. What's the mouth short? We did not do our research. Peter yeah. um, von Worsch. Fuck, I'll just call you Adolf. Are you Arjun? Arjun Red? Aryan? What? That's you. Um, I, 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 you know what? I want it. it hey, it's Melvin. Melvin. I don't give a, I don't give a shit. Gibson. It's Melvin. <laughs> Melvin Gibson. Well, you know, Chris, I, um, in watching this movie, when we were watching it together, uh, I, I think I had a different perspective on it now that I'm watching it with a, a retired police officer because some of the things that the police were doing, when I started to think about would they really do this or would the procedure really have gone this way, like with the car chase, for example, right? Like, does that car chase track? I, I, because it seemed really weird. There was a lot of destruction, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of wanton, reckless, and willful, like, mayhem on both the parts of the police and on the bad guy. Bad guys... I don't even know how often bad guys will pull out, or perps, since this is perp fiction, we'll call them perps. Perps will pull out automatic weapons in a car chase and start to ripping up the tank. I don't even know how many times that happens enough for police to have a procedure for it. So tell me, did the police, did their procedure track, or was it just way too fantastical to be believed? You know, it's funny. And, you know, again, we're never going to be able to get a, a, a truly realistic motion, motion picture like that, or they'll be watching an episode of Cops, which right. got pretty boring. Oh, hey, let's try. Or what's the new one? Is it Live PD or yeah, whatever. Live PD? It's never that much fun. Yeah. Certainly in a feature film where you have an arc of story, you're not going to have that kind of thing. I was very impressed coming back to this film by that first vehicle pursuit. Okay. But what, what impressed me first about the scene was that they did something you don't see that often in most car chases in the mm -hmm. cops, which is it wasn't one car chasing another car through the city and no one, nothing else ever happens. There's just these death-defying turns and flipping vehicles, but this was more realistic. You had like 10, 15 cars, everyone's converging, everyone's on the radio all the time, which yep. really, really worked. The, the well, talk about that for a second. Go, yeah, I was going to say, go back to the station where they were all kind of like hovered around the radio. Started, like, I got $10 on yeah. rigs. Ten, you know, does, that, does that happen? Stay, well, yeah, people can hear it. And actually, it's interesting. That's one of the things that was less realistic about the scene that you encounter all the time in, in real police work, which is that especially in an urban area, but in all, in almost all law enforcement now, there are so many police deaths and mm -hmm. serious injuries, hospitalizations and staff reductions because of vehicle accidents that very often supervisors are called upon and will get in serious trouble if they do not terminate a pursuit just from hearing it on the radio unless they know there's some eminent peril to the public good, to the public safety. Right. Um, they're they're going to say, what's what's more important, getting these crew grands or whatever drug deal, or the fact that this guy's probably going to wreck half the town and kill two people crossing the street with a stroller. Which we don't even know if they killed anybody, any civilians. They may have. They may have. So I mean, you, it looked like it was probably likely that somebody at least got injured, <laughs> you know? So you'd start a police chase, let's say, uh, uh, I remember one that I was in up in Washington Heights, New York. Uh, we were just in a car, and we hear come over the the radio, this guy's screaming, the cop's screaming, this guy tried to run me over, I got in front of his car, he tried to run me down, right. they give a description, everyone's flying, 
uh, the chase goes over the bridge. But at some point, Which before, bridge? Uh, George did. Washington Bridge, okay. excuse me, right. yeah, all the way into Jersey. We got the guy into Jersey. It was hot pursuit. We didn't lose that case. But at some point, somebody lost a couple of days vacation. You chase somebody across the GW? Yeah, yeah. More See, since I drive near it every day now. Well, it gives me context. I mean, I, 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 that's, that'd be a crazy. I mean, that was I, don't, a crazy I don't even like to ride my bike across. You know the the, the um, gas station right off the Palisades. As soon as yeah. you get, that's yeah, where yeah. the chase ended. He pulled in there thinking he was good to go because he was in Jersey, and we ran out and you know what we do. You're we like we're him. we're allowed to get you. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, we got like, him. And, you know, it was a couple months. But the the point is that uh, somewhere before the bridge, a captain went over there and said, "Call off the pursuit. Call it off. Call it off." And we didn't. We kept going. And then everyone got in trouble. I was going to say, did you get reprimanded? Days. Yeah. The, you the lost guys, vacation days? I didn't because I was a rookie. I was in the backseat of the car. I was not driving. I'll be <laughs> honest about it. It was, it was my first vehicle pursuit. It was hard pounding. Wow. Just, but, so, so, but that's an interesting point that you're never going to see in films because it would be an awfully boring car pursuit. Yeah. So... It, well, it, I want to see the fallout. I want to see these guys get reprimanded and get their, <laughs> get their vacation days done. And I want to see them mope around and kick, be bad about that. That's what I want to see. I, I wouldn't mind. And, <laughs> you know, they do have the scene with the captain where he's whining about Krugerrands, helicopters yeah. in the city, all this stuff. Almost apologizing for the for the excesses of the scene before because they know we were asking about it. Yeah. And our mind's like, hmm. But, yeah, so, so it was really interesting to hear the police chase on the radio People commenting, numerous cars coming from other places. I thought that really worked well. And and so what happens next? They find the Krugerrands. They start investigating these guys, and we get into the, sort of the meat and bones of uh, of the plot of the film. South African guys who are moving drugs, some dollars to Krugerrands. I think he said the Danny Glover said this just like the Triangle Trade, but with drugs and dollars to Krugerrands. Yep. And um, they're hiding behind. Diplomatic immunity. Yes. So the first thing I want to ask you, because no lie, I we did like a half a day training about what that stuff was in the academy. It yeah. was right out yeah. the other ear. I would have no idea. I thought I, most of what I knew about diplomatic immunity to that point came from was the lethal weapon. Too. I think that that's actually true for most people. And you know, in, in to be honest, it was kind of true for me. You know, up to a point. I mean, I you know, I've I've been to law school, obviously, mm. and I've practiced as a well as a you know domestic, corporate, and entertainment attorney for a while, but you, you don't really have any opportunity to learn about it. You, know, you don't really have a need to learn about it, so I did a little bit deeper dive. Yeah, you, you dug your Harvard claws I did. They were full Harvard. I, I went see, I full see, Harvard on these I see guys. blood on your, on your um, fingernail. So, yeah, uh, I, this was where I actually got very, very, very disappointed in the movie, even though I loved it, and I still love it, and I will go to my grave saying, yeah, I love Fleet Whippin too, but Here's the thing. When sometimes people watch a movie, and, and, and I'm sure that it happened with this movie, where the protagonists, the police, the good guys, the guys that we want to win, uh, are trying to do their job, and they're hampered by this unseen force and this unseen force, one of which is this diplomatic immunity thing that seems to have hampered their ability to do any goddamn thing. And I know that there are people out there watching the movie thinking to themselves, okay, uh, that's not right. Like, like, is it really like that? Like, that seems, like that? that seems ridiculous to me, right? I think well, I'm going to be a diplomat. Well, well, guess what? It was ridiculous. Well, as usual, you people have got everything all upside down and turned around and back to front. Not only was it ridiculous, the movie makers got this plot point so damn wrong that when I actually finally did the research to figure out what was and what wasn't, it was into, it ruined the movie. I mean, it could have potentially for if, if there were internet trolls back in those days, which there really weren't. Mm -hmm. The internet didn't even really get full swing until like mid nineties, right. right? 
the internet trolls would be destroying this movie. <laughs> destroying it. Let me, I'll start at the beginning. Diplomatic immunity. What is it? All right. So the, uh, I forgot, is it the Diplomatic Relations Act of 1978? Or, of 1978. Counselor, you have your notes in front of you. I do have my notes in front of me. You're refreshing your recollection. Yes, I am, re I am refreshing my recollection. Very good, Chris. That is what, something we do. <laughs> it's either, you either have past recollection recorded or your present recollection refreshed, and this is the latter. So, um, Can I, just one thing? Yes. I, I had an ADA ask me on the stand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they take you to the questions. It's all written out. Yeah. Would you, do, you, do you remember XYZ information? Uh, I'm not sure. Do you have something that you can refresh your recollection? She yes. asks me on the witness stand. This is a, a first year. She says, do you have anything that could refresh your member? Your member? Your member. Um, we could do hand and mouth stuff. Yeah, I, behind like, the, I, you I know. went to the grandchildren. I was like, <laughs> um, do you want to talk about this after? Oh, my God. They railed her. She was, she was, she was the laughing stock, like all the ADAs, because I let it slip, and they were all over her. It was hilarious. She refreshed your member, and you let it slip. Uh, she... <laughs> Yeah. Okay. I'm Name of your sex tape. Okay. So, so yeah. So here's the deal. The Diplomatic Relations Act of 1978 created diplomatic immunity in the U.S. And there are some misconceptions about diplomatic immunity. And, and so the, the main one is who gets it, right? Who gets diplomatic immunity? Diplomatic immunity is bestowed upon those high-level diplomats working in embassies in the United States. Uh, and the highest level of protection goes to diplomats that are working in an embassy in our capital, in Washington, D.C., and, and that's it. Now, this is actually where it all falls apart. It falls apart even more than that as you get into it even more. But take a look. I have with me a, uh, a photo reproduction of Arjun Rudd's diplomatic credentials from the government in South Africa. So take a look at that. It looks like now, there's a 9 millimeter width hole in the face of the person in the ID. I know. Really Arjun. great. Very realistic. I love <laughs> it, right? The diplomatic immunity revoked, and this was the prop after the shot. But if you want to do me a favor, just if you just read me this part down here, right there, where does it say that it, he works? Arjun or what is his Arjun title, Arjun first of all? Adolf, uh, <laughs> Thank you. Name is. <laughs> Min the Minister of Diplomatic Affairs. All right, Minister of Diplomatic Affairs, and where is he officed? Uh, he's officed in what? What and where? The consulate, Los Angeles, Los Angeles, California. Okay. USA. So here's the problem: the consulate. Now, consular immunity and diplomatic immunity are actually two different things. There's actually a whole separate category of immunity for people working in a consulate, hmm. and there's even tiers of that, right? Ah. So when you're working in a consulate, no. First, let me go back to diplomatic immunity for a second. I'll describe what that is. Diplomatic immunity means that. Uh, you cannot be handcuffed, arrested, or detained or prosecuted under any laws of the host country um, unless great. diplomatic immunity is waived, right? Uh, or diplomatic relations fall apart and the treaty's pulled and you're kicked out of the country or, or whatever, right? So uh, there's another misconception. Diplomatic property, right? So you remember when they went into the house and he's like, you need to get out of here. This is the property of the, of the country of South Africa. Setting foot inside an, an embassy does not actually mean that you've entered the territory of that country. Ah. All it means is it's really U.S. territory, but the U.S. is just obligated to respect and protect it. That's he all. He was claiming that his house was not even... He, says, he was basically soil. claiming that his house was freaking Johannesburg or Cape Town, right? It's like, this house is Cape Town, even though it's in the middle of the Hollywood Hills. Get out, right? Just get out of here. Cafe lover. And no. it's just where we live, not yeah. even the embassy. Right. It's right. It's just what they do, their drug and gun stuff. I mean, you know, so and I think they were pretty clear about that. So next. Uh... Parking tickets, right? Remember how he says, My dear officer, you could not even give me a parking ticket. Who 
is the ticket now, hey? No, bullshit. He could totally give him a parking ticket under diplomatic immunity rules. Made my blood boil. But, he, but the thing is, that was wrong. <laughs> you, that's one of the things you actually can do. Okay. Even if it's a diplomat. Like, it doesn't even matter that he was just a lowly consulate. A diplomat can get a parking ticket. So, I think, for it to be funny, Shane Black... If you're paying attention, if you ever do a remake of Lethal Weapon, if you want to be funny, you could actually have Martin Riggs write up a parking ticket and put it in his mouth or something. Anything, right? Like, because he's like, actually, Aryan, Arjun, what, I, Adolf, I can, you know, shove it in the mouth. Something, anything, right? Just give me something. Pretend that we're not complete idiots in the audience here and actually try to stick to what the rules and laws are. So you actually can give him a parking ticket. Finally, diplomatic immunity is something that can be waived. It can be denegotiated it can be revoked all, all kinds of things and you know we'll get to that a little bit later um but uh you know basically it's a problem that's level one of the problem here's level two the whole consular part of it right, right. consular immunity is very different basically diplomats are officials that deal with officials in the host country consular people are they're different they work at the consulate in los angeles which isn't even in the capital right and they enjoy far less immunity their immunity only extends to acts performed in the capacity as consulates, or as, as consulates, right? Basically anything that they do in the course and scope of their official duties. So I ask you, officer, mm. are drugs <laughs> and drug running in the scope of the duties of a consulate in, from South Africa in Los Angeles? I should think not, sir. Okay. Uh, is money laundering? Is cop killing? Is car face surfing or, you know, whatever it was. Car face did, right? <laughs> I mean, all of these things are not in the course and scope of the official duties of a consulate from South Africa in Los Angeles. Any cop that wanted to tag these guys for anything totally could have, totally should have, and totally would have. So it's a big problem, especially since this was the plot yeah, the twist piece. of the movie. Um, now, let me ask you, if you were going to go criminal mastermind on this, let's say, and, and try to get this done right. We're going to get uh, medieval on their ass? Is yeah, that what you're I don't even okay. know if there's an embassy for South Africa in, in L.A. Well, you know what? And that's fine. There probably isn't. Well, let's, let's say that you are the ambassador mm-hmm. on his key staff. And you're like, I'm going to set up a drug running business. We're going to house everything in the embassy. Sure. We're going to run around. And I mean, ideally, you'd only do it until... You got caught, and then right. it would become a big diplomatic incident, and you'd have to like take your money and hightail it to Venezuela or something. But would that work? Would I mean, if you if you run away from a drug deal with your Krugerrands and get into the embassy, can they chase you in there and grab you? Here's here's what would work, right? Um, you put the movie in DC, mm-hmm. okay? So you're in the capital. You make the guy and the actual ambassador yeah. from South Africa. You have a scene where he's interacting with. I don't know the uh, you know the the Secretary of State, some somebody high up in our gov- very high up in our government, uh, and perhaps you have Riggs try to arrest him during one of those meetings and totally stepping all over himself because that's something a police officer cannot do, should not ever do, and uh, if that guy was involved in drug running but they had set it up properly so it was in the capital and he's actually the ambassador. Yeah, we'd have some problems prosecuting. What would happen was South Africa would probably recall him, and they would say that they were going to deal with it on their own because that's what the diplomatic, you know, uh, the diplomatic relations act allows countries that send ambassadors abroad to do. They say, "Well, give it back to us. We'll prosecute him according to our laws." Right. And that's presumably what the cops would. What I would do yeah. as a detective is, as soon as they flash the credentials, and I say, "Yeah, maybe this is legit," I would call the State Department and say, right. "Hey, this is what's going on." 
uh, yeah, I'm not supposed to do anything, but you guys got to get on this and get these guys the hell out of here. You don't just, uh, you know, I don't know. But Sed- here's seduce their secretary and start letting the bullets fly. Pull down their house with a, uh, with a pickup truck. That was awesome. Um, but let me let me ask you this, uh, because I think that as an officer, this is this is something that probably familiar to you. Exigent circumstances, I mean, mm-hmm. that's a term that you're aware of, that yeah. you're probably familiar with. You're allowed to do all kinds of warrantless stuff if there are exigent circumstances, Very right? Nice. So the same thing applies to diplomatic situations. Police officers generally are allowed to disregard rules of immunity whenever necessary to prevent a grave crime of imminent danger to public safety. So when these guys were driving through the streets of Los Angeles and tearing up the town, for some reason without helicopter support, which I still don't get, you know, but but because the bad guys had helicopter support. Right, right. <laughs> what, what, what's the deal with that? You know, the perps, okay. the perps had helicopter support, but not the cops. I know the cops. I mean, like these days, I mean, there weren't even newscopters anymore. I mean, I think back, you know, even in 89, 90, there were newscopters flying around Los Angeles, you know, something, anything, but there weren't. So, but I digress. There was a danger to public safety. And when these guys are shooting up the harbor, mm. right, they've got automatic guns. Yeah. yeah. That's a danger to public safety. Even if there's no public around, discharging automatic weapons. I mean, look, are police even allowed to discharge automatic weapons in the course scope of their duties? Police we talked about this before. Right, unless they're SWAT, right? And, and Even so, they usually it, only use semi-automatics. Yeah, there see? Almost no, I, in New York, there was never any allowance for right. an automatic And I remember weapon. we talked about that. You said, like, I can't believe that these police officers actually picked up these automatic weapons and started using them because that's something that you, you IA will crawl up your butt for. Yeah, I mean, like... Yeah. You probably won't get indemnified for the situation yeah, because you use right? a weapon you're not allowed to right. train to use. It's all kinds of issues with Exactly. But also the fact that straight bullets will definitely be finding some people standing on the side of the road. Exactly. So when uh, the bad guys start shooting up the town with automatic weapons, diplomatic community be damned. Mm. The police are allowed to step in and stop that. So, yeah, it was a major plot hole. Uh, it was very disappointing for me to actually figure it all out. Uh, but there you have it. So that is diplomatic community. Just been revoked. I was going to say, literally, literally revoked, right? So, uh, next up, consular immunity, not revoked, parking ticket, check. Right. Uh, so let's let's talk good cop, bad cop. Um, just just I want to get your thoughts, kind of generally. You know what what worked, what didn't work, what did you like uh, from a police officer's perspective in the movie, how they handled things, the relation. You know, just 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 give me your. Give your, give okay, your well, we, we covered the idea that it'd be mostly a State Department issue after the first encounter. We'll yeah. Move past that. The gunplay, like you said, not all that well choreographed for an action movie. Limited amount of gunplay scenes. There aren't that many shoot scenes. It's really largely a vehicle pursuit film. But what, what I did love, what I really got into in watching the film, uh, and I don't think I'd seen it since I became a cop. So uh, having done the job, and I loved Loved the camaraderie amongst the guys from, you know, the betting over the radio, the way the captain complained about everything and they razz him a little bit, the smoking, that same thing. Don't, don't give a forget fuck. the condom tree. The condom tree. <laughs> the condom commercial. The rubber the tree plant. jokes. You know how cops are. They're always going to be rubbers, 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 rubbers. You know, it's like, and, and all that stuff was so poignant. Yeah. The, the little moment where he's flipping around the Krugerrand in his hand and where Riggs that was pretty Krugerrand cool. and, and, and Murtaugh's like, hey, that's evidence. And they weren't going to collar him, but you know, there was that little tension. Of that's like, actually hard to do. Yeah. Like, know, they... Also, how did you learn that trick? <laughs> yeah. But the, the moment of sort of like that internal affairs thing handled in-house yep. where, uh, you know, you shouldn't be doing that, but, you know, I'm not going to yell and scream about it if you want to get busted. It was, it was very well played. 
Um, I feel like it, and, and you know, the bonding between the cops and the station house, the, the scene where he sets up being able to escape from straight jacket, where they're all again, betting on stuff. That stuff rang true than most cop films, even today. They, mm-hmm. they nailed that stuff. And then in my opinion, they really blew it when they have in a one scene montage or one montage scene, they kill most of the detectives in the precinct or the narcos. Yeah, they kind of rushed through it. They just bam, 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 right. bam. They kill them all. They barely say anything about it. Mel Gibson freaks out, and they have a couple of, you know, let's concentrate on the ones we can save, the, the captain says. And Mel Gibson goes on a killing spree. But I, it, it, And it's less about how it worked in the plot. We know it's an action movie. More that they, they created a really nurturing feeling of realism amongst the cops. And then when they killed them, in, all of them, and then walked away from it, you know, Without much of a word, certainly right. no emotional right. resonance. It, it kind of killed the movie by the by the end of the film. Watching it again, I mean, when I first saw it, I was it was fine action. It's fun, yeah. But from a cop perspective, I was I was taken out of the film to a point where the end didn't even matter to me that much. Well, I mean, and, and we talked about this before. I mean, you know, I I can't remember other than this movie where a police officer dies in the line of duty, much less six or however many this was. Mm. Um, and uh, and there's no funeral, no, and no, and no spouse getting a flag or, or no gun salute or any. Just that, that, that's. I mean, I think that Shane Black actually missed an opportunity to have a really good dramatic device for the movie, or you could or also, and a realistic device. You could right? also argue, which is what I would, which would make it easier as a screenwriter on him. He overlooked the part that he didn't need to do it. Yeah, you didn't need to kill all those guys. We were on board from the first time that guy called someone a kifalava. Yeah, blow his brains out. We yeah. don't care. Oh, we were they never going to like these guys. They picked the best bad guys you yeah. could possibly have for the time, right? You, you'd had done the techno villain with Die Hard, and they started doing that. To they death. were contemporary Nazis. Yeah, we were, I mean, we they were the best bad they, guys. Ever. We didn't have like just these are the bad guys. You hate them automatically, and and they were right there in South Africa. They plucked them in. They put it. Shane Black puts it in the film. Great and idea. they were super douchey, they were too. Douchey. <laughs> you know, the racist, you're good with that. Then he kills the guy's girlfriend, the Mel Gibson's secretary's one night stand or whatever. Yeah. They kill Rika her. Mendenhouse. And they find out that he killed his wife, too. And here's the thing about that, right? The whole his wife dying, that's what drove him crazy in the first place. Yeah. Right? So that one thing alone, it set him off yeah. for the last. That, I mean, that, that created his whole character. So then they kill his next woman. Yeah, I think that's probably enough to make him go on a homicidal killing spree. It's what I call the Taken pass. Yeah. It's like the movie Taken. Like When when something happens that we will just forgive the hero for doing whatever he's got to do, including electrocuting people to death or whatever, he had the Taken pass with those two things. We didn't need to see all those cops die. Yeah. I thought it was silly. And all we need to know is that he has a very particular set of skills. Yes. <laughs> and he will find you. Yeah. And he will kill you. Which he did. Yes, so, he did. Yeah. You don't remember me. Since we're talking about that, do you want to take now to talk about the house and the truck, or do you want to get that to the end? Because I know you wanted to talk about okay. it. Okay, yeah. And we're, brief, we're at brief, the killing scenes. Uh, it did look like he was going to tear the back axle off of that truck. Yeah, <laughs> a friend of mine, God bless him, Sean McGuire, who's a bartender up in Cold Spring. I used to live up there, Cold Spring Upstate. New he had me at Hello. And uh, yeah, Jerry, good, good man, good man. He had a huge Dodge Ram 2500 with jacked up wheels mm-hmm. and you know his Cummings diesel engines. He, we, I had at the house that I owned at the time two forsythia bushes, which bushes is close to a tree. It's, yeah, it's got about like a good Christmas tree diameter base. Yeah, and it was about eight feet tall, very, very wide and bushy. We were gonna pull. We wanted to get rid of them. 
to uh, mm-hmm. put a deck on the side of the house. You could conceivably saw it with a chainsaw, but then you've got the stump to deal with. Yeah. I didn't have a stump grinder. I'm not real outdoors. You're handy about home ownership. Never was. Yeah. So I'm thinking, well, why don't we just get this guy's truck and I literally do the lethal weapon too and pull it out by the roots. Yeah. So we take a towing strap and wrap it around this tree and we start like giving this thing gas more and more and then backing it up and ramming it forward and backing it up and ramming it forward. And then we did some chopping of some of the roots that were still hanging on. Finally, we got the thing out. But I don't think that you're getting a whole house built in on stilts down like that. Just maybe the angle and the way that the truck might have done it. But after that, that Forsythia Bush experience, I have my doubts. And that's, you know, Mythbusters. So it sounds like that was total BS. It sounds like BS, you know. It was very cool, though. It was. It was a cool scene. And again, that's the the thing that carries that film is, you know, the acting's great. The the camaraderie between those two, their chemistry has always been fantastic. Oh, yeah. Even the ridiculous scene with Did they have four lethal weapons or were there five? There were four. But they really only had two, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I like, you know what? In fairness, I thought that Rene Russo was a good addition. She was a good character, but I didn't think the film. But but it didn't carry it. And uh, there's only so much you could think of Leo Getz. Whatever you need, Leo Getz. You get it? (laughs) I use that all the time to break the ice when I meet people. You know, I mean, let him go. Uh, And we'll get into Leo Getz and his money laundering next. Yeah. But I just, I just, I love Gibson and Glover's chemistry. And I love the fact that uh, even, like I said, even that ridiculous scene on the toilet with the bomb, just that moment where they actually had real emotional resonance. Riggs, I know. (laughs) Riggs. The bomb squad guy is like, no, you got to get out. He's like, no, I'm not going. Yeah. Love their chemistry. Uh, I, and that was the best part of the good cop, bad cop part for me was that cop chemistry, group chemistry, precinct personnel, all that stuff was fantastic. I never did decipher whether they were precinct detectives or a narcotics division or exactly what their job hmm. was. That's a good question. I, but, I don't think that, that they're, they're narco cops necessarily. They, well, he was alone from drug, from dope, they called it, in the first film. Was, but then he stayed. But they were working homicide. But then they clearly were, were investing in some kind of a drug ring with these South Africans. Yeah, done it. Yeah, killing. So I, you know, eh, who needs it? It's Shane Black. God bless him. Uh, so, but the money laundering issue. I was sure. going to ask you about that because uh, you know, a big part of the middle of the film is Leo Getz. And okay, his money okay. Laundering Whatever stuff. you want, yeah. Leo Getz. So, uh, thank you, Joe Pesci. It, it, it struck me in contemporary uh, knowledge of law enforcement that that's not how an effective money laundering operation would run exactly. It seemed a little simplistic to me. From what I what I know now, you have to have a lot of cash businesses. You got to account for the money, and and that's probably because maybe stuff like this mm-hmm. happened and they caught yeah. wind of it. But you tell me, what's what's how does his scheme operate again exactly? Well, first of all, um, by putting it in uh, Lethal Weapon Two, you know Shane Black kind of ruined that scheme for everybody that was doing it. Yeah, right? somebody do. I'm surprised <laughs> somebody didn't go whack the guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I am surprised, or maybe he just you know decided that well, you know what, it's time to just uh, it just give. Give this one up. I'll give let's give this one out to the world, and then I'll go try something else. But well, here's the deal, though. Um, the way that Leo gets described it, and you know, I do have the uh, script right here, and uh, okay. we can we can go through the description. You want to do a read? We can do a read. We can do a cold read. So right. you can do if you want to do the cops. Uh, I'll do Riggs and Martin. You do Riggs and Martin. I'll, I'll, I'll try to do the accountant since I'm a lawyer and they're kind of they're related. All right. All right. So, so here we go. All right. <laughs> Somebody's trying to kill you, Leo. Yeah, what the hell do you do? Witness a murder or something? 
Um, oh, and, and and this this is actually where you know that movie scripts sometimes differ what ends up on screen because the line is actually oh heavens no nothing like that which Leo gets to never say that saying oh no okay okay nothing like that okay then what uh, okay 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 for the last five years I've been laundering money for the biggest narcotics trafficking ring on the West Coast okay. Okay? Took me 10 years to work my way up from teller to assistant manager. But I was bored. You know what I mean? Where was all the adventure and excitement they promised us at business school? Um, so I start preparing tax returns on the side, you know, to pick up the slack. And that's all going fine, except still way too tame. Uh, anyway, I'm doing tax returns now for some pretty strange people. They're giving out signals. I'm giving out signals. What, what, what kind of signal? You know, action. 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 So they bring the cash into the bank and deposit it in the account of a dummy finance company licensed out of the Bahamas. Okay? Okay? Sometimes this takes all day because we can't do it all in one deposit. Well, why not? The Bank Secrecy Act, all cash deposits or withdrawals of $10,000 or more generate a CTR, currency transaction record, which goes to the IRS. Still, some of this wasn't in the movie. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so far, none of this is... No, that's bad. Makes my job a lot harder. That's what's good about it, Leo. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Anyway, after all the deposits have been made, I turn around and issue a cashier's check for the amount of the total deposits minus the commission. Okay? Cashier's checks are wonderful instruments. As good as cash, but they don't generate a report to the IRS. So now the money's lost, right? Yeah, but there's more. Okay. The cashier's check is treated like a loan. The lender is the dummy finance company. There's loan documents to support it. They can even take a tax deduction on the interest payments that they're not even making. Leo, you are cruel. Yeah, but it gets even better. Ready for this? I've been scamming these guys for months now. The drug lords. I've been holding back on them. What? Yeah, it was easy. All those cash transactions, millions of dollars changing hands. Who's going to miss the 10000 here, 20000 there? Drug dealers. Yeah, you're right. They did. And then we could stop it right there. But uh, basically, here's the deal with that. Um... That's kind of, that holds up. Like, that's kind of, at least in the 80s, you know, and 90s, when they money laundered, when, when it was starting to be a bigger thing. That's how they did it. The, the key to it all was really the dummy finance company that he mentions. Okay? Mm. Now, the, the reason that you have something that you can call a dummy finance company, or more commonly called a shell corp or a phantom corp, uh, dummy is just another term for it, is when you set up a corporation in the United States, particularly in Delaware, which has the most permissive corporate laws, and in many other countries, too, uh, you can set them up without actually listing the what's called the beneficial owners of the corporation. So you can have this corporation set up with no owners listed that has all of this money, right? And so basically the corporation's formed. It's capitalized with whatever amount of money Leo gets puts in the corporation. Right. That's what shows up on the books because companies are born with money. And it's not always clear where that money came from, but they have to be born. They have to be capitalized initially, right? Mm. So he then takes that money and makes a loan to the bad guy in the form of a cashier's check. The bad guy can declare that he received this money as a loan, and then he makes interest, he makes, takes a tax deduction on the interest. And that's basically laundered. I mean, I, that's sort of simplistic. But back then, you could actually get away with it. Now, a more, far more realistic uh, version of it these days is from, you know, the TV series, or the Netflix series Ozark with Jason Bateman. You know, you're, you've seen that, right? Good stuff. I mean, so, you know, basically, the way he explains it, if you want to kind of get down into it, if you want to do a little bit deeper dive, there's a, I don't know if I could call it a famous scene yet, but I think if there's a like a well-known scene is when he's first explaining money laundering, and he says, so you come across a suitcase with five million bucks in it. What would you buy? A yacht? A mansion? Sports car? Sorry, the IRS won't let you buy anything of value with it, so you better get money into the banking system. But here's the problem. That dirty money's too clean. You have to make it look like it's been around the block. You need a cash business, something pleasant and joyful with books that are easily manipulated. You mix the five million with the cash from the joyful business, that mixture goes from an American bank to a bank from any country that doesn't have to list to the IRS. It then goes into a standard checking account, and your work is done. Your money is laundered. And with that, I think we're going to wrap it up. Uh, as they've tidily wrapped up the film, a big fight scene, knife to the leg, is just being revoked. 
which you revoked at the beginning part of our podcast today. And I know you can't see this, but Chris literally just beat me up and shoved a knife into my leg just yeah, because yeah, yeah. he likes realism and he's a little broken too. But yeah, um, I'll pay for the carpet cleaning. Awesome. Uh, but yeah, so uh, both enjoy the film. Hope you enjoy the examination, some of the finer points. Uh, it, 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 if you haven't seen it in like that many years, and since it's not on anything Pick streaming, you probably have Pick it up. You're going to yeah, have to order it on DVD, but Pick. it's nine bucks for all three, right? Yeah. yeah or all four. Or four. All yeah, four. I got all four. And I'll, yep. If you want, just email and I'll send you the other, the last two because I have no interest. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, thank you. The, the, the giveaway, the big giveaway on the podcast. Thanks for listening. Chris, as always, a pleasure. Thank you all for listening to Perp Fiction Episode 2. You can pick it up anywhere where you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Google, and everywhere else. Thank you, and we'll uh, see you next time. We don't know what movie we're going to watch yet, but I guarantee it'll be a good one. See you next time. Thank you.